Talk. Honest Talk. Talk Radio. The home of free speech. Kevin O'Sullivan. Hard-working, hard-edged, hard to beat. Talk Radio. Let's broaden our minds. Access all arguments. Kevin O'Sullivan. See it, hear it, think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome one and all to my mid-morning spectacular right here on Talk TV. I'm standing in for the excellent Mike Graham while he takes a short break with his family in America. All being well, the Independent Republic will be back with you tomorrow morning. In the meantime, stick with me for three filling hours of fast-paced breaking news and topical debate all the way until one o'clock. Here's what's coming up. As the Tories stagger into another crisis of their own making, I'll look back on 13 years of Conservative rule and ask what, apart from soaring taxes and nanny state interference in our lives, has this government achieved? Any ideas? Anyone? 0344 499 1000. And now Home Secretary Suella Braverman finds herself at the centre of a storm amid allegations that she tried to fix a speeding ticket by using her influence to avoid three points on her licence. If this charge is true that Suella attempted to wriggle out of her rightful punishment, it shows a breathtaking lack of judgement by a Secretary of State. If it's true, should Braverman quit in disgrace? 0344 499 1000. Also, when a theatre asked white people to stay away from its latest stage production, was that flat-out racism? 0344-499-1000. And I'll go live to RAF Scampton to find out the latest developments on the local residents' campaign to stop the disused airbase being turned into an accommodation centre for 2,000 asylum seekers. This is where they made the classic movie, The Dam Busters, and this is happening all over the country. The government imposing huge billeting camps on unsuspecting communities without consultation, using emergency powers established in the COVID crisis. In other news, telecritic Ali Ross joins me later to discuss the seismic departure of Philip Schofield, who has resigned after 21 years hosting ITV's flagship daytime programme this morning. So all those stories of behind-the-scenes psychodramas between former friends Phil and Holly Willoughby were clearly true. She apparently told bosses either he goes or I do, and they chose her, leaving Schofield a broken man, seething over being ruthlessly dumped and hung out to dry. That's according to close friends of his. Also, I'll try to establish why the hell virtue signalling tweeter Gary Lineker is off to Rome to pick up an award for his human rights advocacy on behalf of migrants. Apart from polishing his halo on social media, what exactly has St. Gary ever done in this field? Let me know. 0344 499 1000. Plus... As Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, vows to set up his very vocal opposition to the Tory government, uh, there are increasing calls for this left-wing cleric to shut the hell up. Maybe he should concentrate on worrying about minuscule Church of England congregations. 
and leave the politics to the Westminster gang. What do you think? 0344 499 1000. And what did actually happen in the now famous New York car chase that Harry and Meghan insist was, quotes, near catastrophic, close quotes, what everyone else says was no big deal? Are the gruesome twosome starring in their own self-created melodrama? Are they deliberately whipping up dramas to make headlines? What do you think? 0344 499 And the NHS is shelling out a staggering 4 million quid to settle compensation claims uh, by patients who say they were sexually abused in hospital. Yet another problem in a health service that is shamefully broken. 03444991000. All that and so much more. So don't go anywhere. Stick with me right here, right now, at the home of free speech and common sense. Talk TV. Let's spend Monday morning together. Now, uh, before we uh, get on to a very busy schedule, let's go straight to my first guest. Uh, he is the Sun's brilliant political columnist, uh, Trevor Kavanagh. Uh, good morning, Trevor. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, in a little while, it's uh, on Saturday. Uh, I didn't see too much bunting out around the country, but uh, it was 13 years of Tory rule, the exact 13th birthday since David Cameron walked into number 10 and launched a long period of Conservative reign. So I'll get your school report uh, on the Tories so far in just a little while. But uh, there's a pressing scandal that seems to be erupting right now. Uh, it concerns, of course, the Home Secretary Suella Braverman, uh, front page of the Sunday Times yesterday, suggesting that she used her position <coughs> as Home Secretary to try to influence a speeding ticket that she got uh, to try to get off going to a group speeding awareness course. I did one myself recently uh, and to do a private one in order to get off getting three points. <coughs> I mean, a very minor indiscretion, you might say. But for a secretary of state, you have to be careful about this sort of thing. And if this, these allegations are true, she's got herself in a lot of hot water over something she should have known better. Um, well, I, I tend to disagree with that, uh, Kevin, simply because uh, Suella Braverman is a hate figure. She is a woman. She would have been on, uh, there would have been filming of her. It would have been used against her. And I think that on such a minor, um, what I, I'm not even sure it's an indiscretion, frankly. I think it's a very wise move for her to have <laughs> tried to avoid having to be in a group therapy uh, and I've been in these myself, uh, as you have, yeah. and they're very good. But um, they are, I think, a sort of uh, group embarrassing process where you're uh, made to feel a little bit small, and uh, you're you may have you've only done a couple of miles an hour over the speed limit anyway. Otherwise, you'll get a fine without any options whatsoever. So I, I'm I cannot see how this is a huge scandal. Frankly, all she was doing was trying to find an option where she wasn't being seen. And in the event, she eventually paid up without any further demur. So I don't I, I really do not see this as a scandal. Um, so would you buy into the fact that this could then be uh, a campaign against her? Another attempt to blacken her name, because as you quite rightly say, Trevor, she's not necessarily the most 
popular person, particularly among the left in Westminster. Uh, do you think people are ganging up on her in the way that they did against Dominic Raab and apparently they're trying to do against Steve Barclay now? Is this another attempt to destabilise the evil Tory government, do you think? Absolutely right. And I, they did it with Pretty Patel and they'll do it with whoever succeeds Suella Bravman in the long run, except unless, of course, it's a Labour Home Secretary, in which case you won't hear any such hoo-ha over their misdemeanours, no matter how serious. So this is the blob out to get, not just the blob, but obviously her political enemies, some of them, I have to say, within her own party. Uh, Suella Bravman isn't universally popular with those who really don't uh, worry too much about immigration, even though it's the biggest issue at the moment. Uh, so, yes, I think that it is an attempt to get her, but it's quite universal. Indeed. Uh, well, let's go on to uh, the let's do a sort of school report, really, on the Tories. Now, as I say, on Saturday, uh, to no great uh, banner waving, uh, it became the 13th anniversary of uh, the Tories first walking into number 10 Downing Street when uh, um, David Cameron picked up the keys. 13 years of Tory rule now, 13 years and two days, I guess. Uh, I mean, it seems to me we, we, we have a, we've had a dizzying number of prime ministers in that time. Cameron, May, uh, Johnson, Truss, now Sunak. Uh, Sunak has presided over, including when he was uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, I think 14 tax rises. Doesn't seem to be very conservative to me. And also, this government seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger by the day. Uh, it is a nanny state government that seems to want to interfere in every aspect of our, our lives. Again, not very Tory. Uh, do you think that Sunak now is leading a, a sort of rudderless a government that's lost all track of what it's supposed to be, any political philosophy. Uh, I mean, wh where are we at? How do you assess 13 years of Tory rule, Trevor? Well, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to notch up 13 years, where, which is uh, just uh, exactly the same length of time that the Labour government under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown uh, served in office. And uh, they did things. They did lots of things, many of which we might disagree with and disapprove of, but they actually did quite a lot of landmark policy decision-making, and uh, they are remembered vividly for them, not least as an, one example, the human rights laws, uh, which I think were a terrible disaster. There was Iraq. There were all sorts of things that Labour did that have left an indelible impression. When you look back at the Tory years, the first five were completely wasted under the coalition with the Liberal Democrats, and uh, that, in fact, began even before the election of the Tories when David Cameron privately really didn't want to win outright because he knew that the uh, right wing of the Tory party would start demanding a referendum on, on Europe. And that, frankly, is the only thing that this parliament, this government, will be remembered for, which is the referendum vote followed by the decision to leave and all of the internal bloodletting bloodbaths that have taken place since. Uh, indeed. And um, going back to... I mean, we can uh, judge them on their record on this as well, but it's obviously very pressing at the moment. Uh, and of course, it brings Suella Bravman back into play. Uh, I do think that uh, Rishi Sunak is not coating himself in glory when it comes to the migrant crisis. Uh, it was only, uh, I believe, at the end of March, he stood in front of that lectern or behind that lectern saying, stop the boats. I'm going to stop the boats. 
uh, we're going to stop this, solve this migration problem. Ever since then, all he's been saying is, I'm going to uh, commandeer more and more barges to put migrants on. So it doesn't seem like he's stopping the boats. In some ways, he's increasing the number of boats because he's got one going into Portland uh, with 519 migrants on it, I think. Uh, that's going to happen soon. Plus, he's 10 more migrants' barges he wants to set up around the country. Plus, he's commandeering uh, RAF disused bases like Scampton. We're going up there in a minute to find out what the situation is there. He's uh, buying ex-derelict uh, prisons to do them. To more and more of these places to put more and more migrants in. So he seems to have gone from the Prime Minister who's going to stop the boats to the Prime Minister who's going to accommodate this ever-increasing avalanche of migrants, invasion of migrants, in slightly cheaper places. Uh, the mission seems to get be watered down by the day, Trevor. Well, I think it's got worse than that, uh, Kevin. I think that um, the, the legal immigration crisis, or what is yeah. now bordering on a scandal, yes. has eclipsed even the small boats invasion. The small boats infuriate people because they're all criminals. They have to be because it's illegal. And many of them are actually active criminals from countries where um, child slavery and all sorts of other things are practiced. And they bring uh, the organized crime syndicates from their own countries and set them up here where they're flourishing. But this is something that really upsets people. And they watch it on television because it's visible on their screens. The thing that really has begun to hit people between the eyes is the figures which show that uh, we are now having uh, one million or thereabouts legal migrants coming into the country with visas, with permission, with permission to stay, and in some cases indefinitely. That over a period of a very short period of years is the equivalent of the population of Scotland. And uh, you've got, uh, that's the net figure. On top of that, the people who are leaving, if you, if you took out the people who are leaving the country, say about half a million, you've got about one and a half newcomers coming into the country every year legally with permission effectively to stay. Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, we need to talk about this some more when we come back after these messages. Trevor, stay where you are. I'm still talking to Trevor Kavanagh, the brilliant political columnist at The Sun, a man of great experience in Westminster. We're looking back on 13 years of Tory rule. Uh, so we'll be back with Trevor in just a little while. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studios. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back. Uh, I'm still talking to uh, The Sun's political columnist, uh, Trevor Kavanagh. Uh, Trevor, we were talking just before the break about uh, the uh, migrant crisis, both legal and illegal. As you said, we're running at around about a million legal migrants every year now. And these people are being brought in to fuel our low-wage economy. We used to let people in who were highly qualified, highly skilled to do jobs like engineers, doctors, etc. Now, uh, we're not interested in them. We're on the lookout for low-wage uh, migrants who can uh, do the unskilled jobs. Uh, so we have a low-wage economy. That's what this is all about. And no good can come of that, can it? Well, it's what it's always been about, uh, Kevin, ever since Gordon Brown opened the doors back in uh, 2010. 
Um, the whole point was not this humanitarian claim that they were making places available for uh, people in need, people who were seeking asylum. It was simply to stock the country up with people who, in those days, mostly European Union uh, workers, who would do the jobs that the British people simply will not do for some reason. And uh, that's been the case ever since. And yet here we have uh, a situation where five to seven million people who are of working age are not working. Uh, where are they? What are they doing? Why can't they do these jobs? And surely if we use the welfare system in a sensible and sensitive way, we could encourage them to start actually earning their keep. Uh, indeed. Uh, now, let's talk about uh, what might be one of the government's uh, great advantages, and that is that uh, the opposition uh, is Keir Starmer, who today has unleashed, uh, unveiled some sort of plan for the uh, NHS that doesn't really make any sense at all. It's just a load of vagaries are going to revolutionise the NHS, get it back on its feet. I don't see any... Uh, way he's going to do that by this. That's typical wishy-washy Keir Starmer. And since uh, we're talking about uh, Suella Bravman's potential problems, uh, Ke Trevor, whatever happened to the Labour investigation into Diane Abbott's anti-Semitic letter to the Observer? It was about a month ago. All there in black and white print. It's there. Uh, it doesn't take well, much of an investigation. When are we going to get the report on her anti-Semitic letter? Or are the Labour Party yet again kicking the anti-Semitism can down the road? The simple fact is, uh, Kevin, that she's not a Tory. If she were a Tory, it would be all over the front pages, wouldn't it? Yes. So, look, there, there, there's no way that the Labour Party is going to wash its dirty linen in public, and they've got plenty of it. As for Keir Starmer and his announcements this morning, of which there were none, about what he's going to do to the National Health Service, it will be the same as Labour did when it was last in power, which is to pour money into the National Health Service. And while some, of course, did improve things because they were more improvable in those days, most of it went into higher pay. And that's exactly what will happen uh, uh, next time if they get back in. Um, and they're going to pay for it all, according to Starmer, with the proceeds of the uh, non-DOM tax uh, regime. Well, the non-DOM taxpayers are the people who are so flexible they can leave the country and set up a base somewhere else if they feel they're being overtaxed. That's the whole point of the non-DOM uh, tax regime. So they're not going to get the billions they assume from that or from the other measures that they keep hammering about how they're going to take tax from this uh, source or another. That adds up to a few billion, and some of it will disappear. This is all smoke and mirrors. And one of the good things about the new self-confidence of Keir Starmer is that he's now beginning to reveal some of the absurd policies that I think voters will be quite, quite alarmed about when they come to vote in uh, 2024. Indeed. Uh, before we go, Trevor, let's go back to the migrant crisis, the illegal migrant crisis, because in a little while we're going to go up to uh, RAF Scampton in Lincolnshire where they filmed the Dam Busters film, disused airbase, currently being converted into an asylum seekers accommodation centre uh, to put up uh, 2,000 migrants. Uh, now, this is a situation that's going on all over the country. Various ex- uh, RAF bases, uh, 
derelict prisons, various former uh, establishments being renovated to put migrants in. Now, local communities are, are furious because these places are being completely imposed upon them with no consultation. Uh, and the government is using emergency powers, emergency laws that it gave itself during the COVID crisis. So communities all over the country, like in Scampton, I did a story about a place called uh, North Eye Prison in Bexhill, uh, near Bexhill in Sussex. Same deal, old prison, they're renovating it. They're going to put 1,250 asylum seekers in. The local community has not even been asked. And they're furious and they're suing the Home Office for this. So I would suggest that all over the country we're going to get uh, these furious communities saying, what the hell are you doing? You're just imposing these massive accommodation centres on us. You don't ask us about it. Uh, you just impose them. Uh, this is not good, is it? Well, I, I broke the uh, RAS Scanton story about six or seven weeks ago. And uh, the story is even more complicated for the airbase there because they had just been given approval for the development of that base into a, a, a housing and community uh, estate which would have increased local jobs and provided all sorts of homes and other assets and available uh, facilities for the local community. They've lost all that and now they're having to ha accommodate a lot of people who will be complete strangers in a in an isolated uh, rural uh, community with nothing to do all day except roam the, the, the area. This is, as you say, a, a problem right across the country, mostly in these sort of remote places where people have little in the way of community uh, coordination to block it. And I, I think that it's something that we're going to live with and regret over many years to come, simply because when they start to... They, I don't think the Rwanda thing is going to work. It, it may never happen. And we're going to have to put up with, I think, a very large increase in the number of migrants, legal and illegal, over the coming years. Yeah, and my suggestion would be that uh, that alone, uh, Rishi doesn't seem to understand it, but this alone will lose him the next election. He seems to feel if he makes loud, tough-sounding noises and then says, oh, well, I got thwarted, you know, by international law. I, I wanted to do something about it, but I couldn't quite do it. He seems to think we'll all go, oh, well, at least he tried. Well, I've got bad news for him. That isn't going to be enough. Uh, Trevor, great to talk to you as always. Thank you so much for your time. That was Trevor Kevin, a political columnist at The Sun, uh, talking about uh, the migrant crisis, among others. And uh, in a little while, we're going to go up to RAF Scampton, where the local community is waging a passionate campaign to stop that famous airbase where they filmed the uh, classic movie The Dam Busters, uh, to stop that famous airbase being converted into a huge accommodation centre for 2,000 migrants, 2,000 asylum seekers. The local community, tiny little villages, said we just can't take that. You know, our infrastructure cannot stand that. So uh, we're going to go up to Scampton and find out what the situation is there. Uh, so uh, so uh, stay uh, tuned for that.
Um, and also uh, later on, uh, we'll be hearing from Keir Starmer as he gives a speech about his uh, NHS plans that I was talking with Trevor Kavanagh about. Uh, if you can work out what the hell they mean, you're a better man than I. Uh, see if you can work it out. It's uh, quite confusing. Anyway, when we come back, though, RAF Scampton, I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studios. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, yes, as I say, later on, uh, we'll be going live to Keir Starmer, who's going to tell you what he plans to do to completely solve the NHS's problems. Uh, will he completely solve the NHS's problems? Don't bet the farm on it. Uh, it's uh, a lot of old platitudinous claptrap, if you ask me. Uh, but uh, we will be uh, bringing you uh, some of what Keir Starmer has to say later in the show. Uh, but more importantly, uh, let's go up to RAF Scampton in Lincolnshire now, where the locals are waging a very passionate Save Our Scampton campaign uh, because the government uh, is converting the local disused RAF base Scampton, where they made the movie The Dam Busters, is converting that into an accommodation centre for 2,000 asylum seekers, and the shocked local community can barely believe what's happening to them. Uh, let's uh, go straight now to, from the Save Our Scampton campaign, one of the organisers, Sarah Carter. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, just before we get to uh, the nitty-gritty of this situation. Explain what happened to you. As I understood it, you've had this sort of disused airbase for a long, long time, and then you get these amazing plans that they're going to convert it into a hotel and shopping centre, great uh, news for the local community, lots of jobs, and then suddenly they take that rug from underneath your feet and tell you, no, we've got other plans for RAF Scampton. Tell us the story, Sarah. Not no. That's not the, the story at all. The, the actual um, base was still being used by the RAF when they announced the plans. Yeah. So on Monday, the 6th of March, mm. um, the West Lindsay District Council mm. uh, announced that we had just, that, well, they, they had just approved a £300 million generation deal with Scampton Holdings, right. which right. would create um, a thousand jobs by having an immersive museum yeah hotels yeah. keeping the runway open having an aerospace center amongst many other things but preserving the history of the dam busters the 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 heritage that we've got at this site and oh <laughs> okay so you got, you got to that point when did they when did you, were you suddenly told, actually, we're going to be converting RAF Scampton into a massive asylum seekers accommodation centre? When did you find that out? Well, West Lindsay District Council announced that on Monday, the 6th of March. And on Tuesday, Tuesday the 7th of March, it was leaked um, to the press. Mm. And I had a, um, a reporter contact me and I didn't believe them because mm. it was just so like... <laughs> No, sorry, but what's your source? Like, where have you got this from? And then on Wednesday, the 8th of March, um, Sir Edward Lee was in Parliament discussing it, and that was the first we'd heard about it. Now, RAF Scampton didn't actually close as a base until the 31st of March, right. so it's still actually in use at the time. So it wasn't as if this place has been sat empty and people yeah. were trying to decide what to do with it. 
Now, but the, the, the essence of it, because the thing is, Sarah, I think this is a situation that's going on all over the country, particularly egregious where you are, that the government is using uh, emergency powers that it gave itself during the COVID crisis, where it's allowed to uh, take emergency measures uh, without local consequences. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So they don't have to even speak to you. So the first thing you guys knew was it's happening. Uh, this is outrageous, isn't it, that you don't have any say in this huge change to your local area. Uh, 2,000 asylum seekers. It's a rural area. I mean, tell us uh, what your fears are surrounding this sudden influx of 2,000 uh, people uh, who, who will live in your midst. What, what are your fears? Well, as with everybody, it's the, it's the unknown. It's the, the, the fear of the possibility of what could happen. You, you see what's in the press and you can't help that. You don't, you, the press aren't reporting every day on sort of, you know, there was no trouble at Skegness. There was no trouble at Napier. There was no trouble at, at Manston. You only hear the bad side of things. So, of course, it, it it worries people that the, the possibility of what could happen, but we've had sort of um, no consultation from the Home Office for sort of any reassurance at all. But our, our infrastructure can't take yeah. it. RAF yeah. Scampton wasn't built to ha- house 2,000 people. So, you know, we, we've had no consultation whatsoever, no letters, no nothing to, to tell us how they're going to deal with this. Um and the, the section Q with the emergency um, sort of planning permission that they're going to give themselves, um, mm. it, <laughs> this is an emergency. Okay, this has been snow, snowballing for how many years? Yeah, It's yeah. not an emergency because you didn't deal with it from the start and you've let it escalate to this situation where now you're a, on a community of 700, you want to... Put two thousand asylum seekers. Is that what we're talking about there, Sarah? That you've got seven hundred people living locally, and they're going to bring two thousand people in. I mean, this is the situation that's being echoed around the country. Uh, doing a story about Portland, uh, which is going to get this barge where five hundred and nineteen young male migrants will live. Now, this is a, a, a town, a seaside town of twelve thousand people. 
Now you put 1,250 into that community. They say, they tell me they've got one copper and one GP. It's the infrastructure, and I'm sure it's the same around uh, RF Scampton, right? I mean, you just haven't got the infrastructure to handle this massive influx of suddenly 2,000 new residents, right? Yeah, I, I believe I was told there were 689 people registered to vote on where, where we live um, is the former married quarters mm -hmm. to RES Gampton. So we're sort of basically were part of the base until right. a wire was put down. So that's how close we are. Right. And there's just, just under 700 of us registered to vote here. And they want to put 2,000 people literally the other side of a six foot fence. We have a, a primary school. Um, just the other side of, or this side of the fence and a nursery. So obviously parents are worried about their children. You know, um, we we don't actually have a shop. When the RAF moved out on the 31st of March, yeah. Um, yeah. the shop was closed as well. So we have nothing here apart from the school and the nursery. So it's a 60 mile an hour road country lane to get to the nearest village where our nearest shop is, which is three or four miles away, I believe. Right. So, right. It, you know, we we don't have anything here for ourselves, let alone an extra 2,000 people. Uh, Sarah, try to explain, I mean, you must be feeling, because uh, I, as I say, I've spoken to other people in similar circumstances to you, and what they all talk of is their tremendous feeling of impotence. You know, they've got no power. This is suddenly imposed on them. Nobody asked them about it. You don't know who to talk to about it. You know, you're, it's almost as if you're victims of a kind of sort of tyranny, an authoritarian government. Uh Yes. And I mean, I've reached out to lots of people because, it, it, I mean, it's a knee jerk reaction when you hear about this. What can I do when you when you don't know what to do? You know, yeah, I'm going to go and chain myself to the gates. So I'm, I'm going to do this, going to do that. And then it, you, you have to take a second and think, right, OK, how, how are we going to fight this? And, you know, I, I've been um, called a lefty because I, I reached out to Hamish, who'd started a petition against this, which at the weekend we hit 70,000 signatures on, you know, and because I'm saying that as a campaign, we're keeping neutral, yeah. you know, the left side are trying to tell us that we're righties and the righties is trying to make us out to be lefties because we're sat in the middle. So we've got this situation going on as well as trying to fight the Home Office who have given us no consultation whatsoever. As a, as a campaign, we've been in contact and we've actually um, started a group with the admins from Portland Port. Um, yeah. We've been talking yeah, right, to them, right. Bexhill and... Uh, Weathersfield and quite a few yeah. other places as well to see how we can help each other you know how they went about getting the home office to come and visit they've they've eventually said that they're going to come and have a consultation with us but let, let's see if that actually happens because as yet they've still not arranged anything and let's see if uh, they actually listen i wish you all i hope we speak again sarah thank you very much for your time and the uh, the very best with your campaign that's uh, sarah carter from the save our scampton campaign that's for ref scampton as i say this situation is going on at other places all over the country these asylum seeker centers being huge centers being imposed 
on tiny communities that don't know what to do. They haven't been consulted. They're trying to stop it. Uh, what do you think about this? 03444991000. Before we go to break, uh, let's uh, impose upon Keir Starmer and hear what he's having to say about the NHS in a keynote speech right now. Underestimate the bond between people and service. Underestimate what we can do with a mission. Well, thank you, thank you, Keir. It's uh, Keir uh, speaking from his own echo chamber. There, we'll try and get you some better sound uh, later on uh, and to have a little listen. He's, he's outlaying his five-point plan for the NHS. Don't worry, it won't work. So it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, it's a lot of old uh, platitudinous claptrap as per usual. Uh, but we will try and get back to uh, Keir a bit later. But uh, in the meantime, when we come back, I'm going to be talking to Ali Ross about the psychodrama at this morning. Phil Schofield has sensationally quit. Holly remains. Who's going to take over as the golden couple on the safe sofa? What went wrong? Oh, my God, what a weekend. So we'll be looking back on the This Morning Saga in just a little while with Ali Ross. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV live from the Talk Radio studio. Uh, welcome back. Uh, in a little while, we'll be talking about that car chase in Manhattan with Harry and Meghan. Near catastrophic, they said. You know what it's near catastrophic? In my view, that's like saying it nearly rained. It nearly rained. What that means is it didn't rain. Near catastrophic means it wasn't catastrophic. The taxi driver said it was very low-paced, very undramatic. The police said it was a bit chaotic. The mayor said there's no way it lasted more than two hours. Everybody's story contradicts what Harry and Meghan are saying. So are we being subjected to their truth again as opposed to the truth? Uh, stay tuned to find out. 03444991000. Uh, now we're going to talk about potential racism. The Theatre Royal in Stratford East has got a play on at uh, the moment. It's called Tambo and Bones. Uh, uh, they're hosting a one-off blackout event to create safe private spaces for an all-black identifying audience to explore race-related issues. Uh, no one is excluded, but to white people are encouraged not to come so that this uh, stage production can unfold free from the white gaze. Imagine if I was saying this about black people. You know, black people don't want you there. We want this to uh, be free from the black gaze. Imagine that. I mean, you know, I'd be cancelled within seconds, quite rightly, for racism. Why is it not racism the other way around? Or is it racism? I would suggest that it is. Uh, let's uh, talk to, uh, from the Fair Cop organisation, Harry Miller. Uh, good morning, Harry. Hi, hi Kevin. No, you, you sum it up absolutely perfectly right there. If you flip this and do it the other way around, it's it's obviously racism. It's obviously racism. Now, what worries me about this is that I think this has gone beyond um, tinkering with unexpected results uh, likely to occur. I think what this is, is being designed to generate some form of, of, of pushback from the white community. I mean, the very concept of the white gaze is itself utterly racist. And what concerns me is that these idiots are going to complete what Charles Manson attempted back in 1969, 
when he he went over the Tate Bianca uh, murders. Because what he wanted to do there, apparently, was to generate some white on black violence, to generate a race war. And I think what we're doing here is this is not incompetency. I think this is designed to prompt white supremacy, a white supremacy backlash. I think it's designed to generate black supremacists. I think it's designed to generate some form of war because there can be no other logical explanation for it, Kevin Campbell. I mean, this, this, uh, nonsense, this nonsense of the white gays and black only theatre goers. It's, cra- it's not crazy. It's sinister. It's, it's, I mean, it's, I, I say it's racist. Uh, and it uh, plays into uh, what the actress at Adjoa Ando said the other week at the coronation, you know, when uh, the cameras switched to the balcony with the royal family there, 20 of them or so, uh, royal family being white, they were all white. Uh, Adjoa Ando, uh, the Bridgerton actress, said, uh, this is a terribly white scene. It's terribly white. Uh, well, of course. It, but I mean, the point is, again, boot on the other foot, if that was a black royal family and somebody said, trouble with that balcony scene is it's terribly black. I mean, all hell would break loose. It seems we're allowed now to be racist against white people, but not against black people. Uh, In the ideal world, for me, Harry, uh, none of this racism would be allowed. You couldn't be racist about white people or black people. But right now, it seems it's okay as long as you're being racist against white people. No, that, 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 that's that's exactly right. You wouldn't dream of looking at um, the coronation of the King of Swaziland and going, "Oh, it, that family's all a little bit black, and the balcony is a little bit black." Would you? You you would recognise it instantly yeah. as being provocative and and racist. And that's why I say, Kevin, this this I believe is being done on purpose in order to generate some form of race war. Because in Britain, we are tolerant people. We don't really have a massive racism problem. Of course, we have pockets of racism. Every country does. But why why do people risk their life and limb to cross the channel uh, if we're such a terribly racist country? Why would they do that? Because the fact of the matter is, we're not. We're not. But they are trying to stoke up a racist war. They're trying to pit one group against another. Brexit against Leavers. The vaccinated against the unvaccinated. Women against trans women. Uh, This is an intersectional war that's being prompted uh, by what I consider to be lunatic Marxist, cultural Marxists, who, who have been badly let down by the working classes because they refused to rise up. Um, uh, against the ruling classes, rather they they took the option to buy their council house homes uh, and and um, and and get on the uh, the, the, the ladder um, and make yeah. their lives better. Yeah. Now, having been let down in that way, uh, the cultural Marxists have had to find some other uh, war, and this is what they're doing. They're they're creating a cultural war. Uh, indeed. Uh, let me ask you about this. Sort of moving on a bit, uh, Gary Lineker. Uh, the BBC's famous virtue signalling tweeter, uh, is off to Rome uh, to pick up an award. Uh, he's going to get uh, human, for his human rights work, work on behalf of migrants. Uh, so he's going to get an award for this. Uh, and uh, I- I'm wondering what it is he's actually done to help migrants. I mean, he took a migrant in, a couple of migrants, I think, to be fair to him. 
he did give a home to a couple of migrants. And also, of course, he does a lot of tweets polishing his own halo, criticising the government's migrant policies and all that. But apart from that... What's he actually done? I mean, he's like the Meghan Markle of sport. He's going to get this award just for posting a few tweets, as far as I can work out. Well, it's not a fake award, is it? It's an award that has got as much substance as the award, the award that Meghan Markle uh, got in New York last week. Um, it, it's it's a nothing award. He's done absolutely nothing. Okay, it's absolutely fine that he took in a couple of migrants and had them on his property. But I bet there's a I bet there was best part of a mile between where his living room and their living room uh, because he live in a mansion, won't he? Yeah. That's that's the that's the problem. It's very very easy to say come and live on my property when you when you live on a sprawling multi million uh, multi millionaire's pad. That's very very easy. But for the rest of us, it's not so easy. Uh, indeed. Uh, let me ask you uh, finally, Harry, uh, I know you wanted to talk about this and I think it does uh, warrant discussion. Uh, the transgender butcher in uh, Scotland who kidnapped a little kid and sexually abused her in a 27 hour ordeal. This is a paedophile rapist who likes to dress in women's clothes and therefore says that uh, he identifies as a female. Uh, one of these cases where the courtroom will talk about, you know, uh, she attacked the, the kid with her penis, all that nonsense. Uh, now, it turns out that uh, Hamza Yousaf, the Scottish leader, the SNP leader, is not ruling out this person, this transgender child rapist, uh, may end up in a female jail because he identifies as a female. Uh, that shouldn't happen, should it? Well, you and I are from the school of common sense, Kevin, so of course it shouldn't happen. But they've, they've dug themselves a massive hole because if anybody can identify as a woman merely on their own say-so, then why can a, why can a rapist not? Why can uh, a, a, an abuser not? This is the problem. This is the thing that women, genuine women and, and honest men have been saying all along, that the self-ID thing, one, it's nonsense because nobody can self-identify into anything. You simply can't do it. Uh, and secondly, it gives a charter to abusers to further abuse. But once, once, you've, once they've gone down this rabbit hole, it's very difficult for them to, to reverse ferret out of it, isn't it? That's the problem. Uh, but they they have to do so uh, eventually. Eventually, of course, this whole gender nonsense will collapse, and we will get our collective sanity back, and we will realise once more that human beings do not change sex. The best you can do is put on a pretty poor and shocking performance um, of the opposite sex. Nothing more. Nothing more. I mean, it's it says it's a uh, beggar's belief, doesn't it, Harry? That only recently, basically. Nicola Sturgeon's career was torpedoed on the altar of her ludicrous backing of that bloke I Isla Bryce, uh, real name Adam Graham, uh, going, it was a double rapist, double rapist being put into a female jail. I mean, they had to pull him out in the end, but uh, the uh, first minister then, Nicola Sturgeon, backed that and her career went west because of it. And now uh, Hamza Yousaf seems to be backing another male rapist going into a female prison. I mean, when will these people ever learn? 
I, I don't know. I don't think they want to learn. And of course, we've got we've got the holy month of pride uh, quickly coming upon us, where we're going to be having pronouns and multiple gender identities rammed down our throats. I don't know whether you saw last week the NHS have now published a, a, a form where you don't just tick male or female. Well, there are all kinds of weird genders that you can take. What does any is when it, what does any of that got to do with medicine? I have no idea. Look, we all know that if you're a man, you don't get breast cancer. You well, you certainly don't get ovarian cancer, and if you're a woman, you don't get prostate cancer. We we have to be grounded back in reality because at the end of the day, nature will win. Nature doesn't give a damn. Cancer doesn't give a damn about what about your pronouns, about your self identity, and the NHS should. Well, it needs to reroute itself in common sense. You cannot treat somebody unless you know what their sex is. There are two sexes. There are male and there are female. The rest of it is baloney, made-up nonsense. Uh, a lot of people believe that you're right there, Harry. And excellent to talk to you. That's uh, Harry Miller, the founder of the Fair Cop Group. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about that uh, car chase in New York involving Harry and Meghan. They said it's near catastrophic. Everyone else doesn't seem to say the same. Is this another example of Harry and Meghan's truth as opposed to the truth? We'll be putting that high-speed, non-high-speed car chase under the microscope when we come back. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV live from the Talk Radio studio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now let's talk about the NHS. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, the NHS is about has paid out more than four million pounds for sexual misconduct cases since 2018. So uh, an ongoing problem there. Let's talk to GP and clinical director of patient access, Dr. Sarah Jarvis. Uh, good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Uh, yes, uh, I mean, this is a, a sort of bit of a left field issue, but uh, rather concerning. More than four million pounds paid out in compensation to patients who say they were sexually assaulted while in hospital. Where's this yeah. come from? This is extraordinary, isn't it? So the answer is there are bad apples in every barrel. And unfortunately, it's quite clear there have been 1500 reports of Harassment is not just for sexual assault, it's harassment, assault and inappropriate behaviour by NHS staff. Now, some of them were against patients and some of them were against other members of staff. So predominantly men um, and against the, the victims were usually female. To put it into perspective, I suppose, you know, there are 1.5 million people who work overall for the NHS and there have been 1,500 reports. Um, having said that, it's quite likely, in fact, I would suggest it's very likely that more cases than this actually happened. And obviously, from my perspective, a single case, let alone 1,500 over a four-year or over a five-year period, is too many. But I think that, you know, one thing I do just want to point out to patients is that on the whole, this is, you know, 300 cases a year which have been reported. And if you consider that we do 1.5 million um, hospital operations every month i think that does put it into perspective i don't think people can go in being worried that this is very likely to happen having said that it's still completely unacceptable that it's happened at all but it's still very very uncommon yes uh, i mean what can be done to uh, stop this uh, going on in in the future so is there anything we can do 
Well, I think we need to change the culture. There is still, I think, an element of misogyny. I still think there is an element of I'm in charge. We know that when you are a patient, you are in a much more vulnerable position. You know, I'm a GP, but I've also been the mother of a child who is in hospital. I've been a patient myself. And I know that the dynamic changes dramatically when you're a patient. So we really do need to continue to ensure that people get really, really good education about what is and what is not acceptable. And really importantly, that people understand that when you are a doctor or a healthcare professional, you are in a position of power and that anything you do, even if you might think it was a bit of fun, is actually an abuse of that power. And that is not acceptable. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen uh, Keir Starmer's plans this morning. He's come up with a five point plan to uh, solve the crisis of the NHS, he says. Uh, I don't know if you've been through it. I can't quite work out exactly how it's going to particularly improve the NHS. Uh, but he says that uh, uh, one of the problems is it's going to have a five or six billion pound funding gap shortfall. Well, it already gets 200 billion pounds. I mean, is it really the solution to all of the NHS's problems that we just keep hurling money at it? Well, I think there has to be more than that and there has to be planning as well. But I don't think there's any question that money helps because unfortunately, treatments that we're doing, we're keeping people alive for longer, which is fantastic. We're keeping people in good health for longer, which is fantastic. But that is expensive to do. We know that life expectancy, for instance, since I first became a GP, has increased by about seven or eight years. People are living longer. And as you get older, you have got more health conditions and people quite rightly expect those health conditions to be treated. Now, there was a very damning report that came out from the King's Fund just last month, pointing out that until 2010, we were doing really well because we were getting regular investment in terms of meeting targets, in terms of improving targets, particularly for things like people not waiting too long. We've now got 7.33 million people on our waiting list. We've only got, we've got less than two thirds of people who are referred for cancer tests, starting treatment if they're diagnosed with cancer within two months. Now, until 2010, things were going in the right direction. Since that time, the King's Fund report, report makes it very clear that there's been systematic underinvestment in the NHS and that that target has not been reached for nine years since 2014. And when you say hurling money at it, I think if we look at other countries, we think of ourselves very much as a, a first world country. Well, actually, we have one third, in fact, less than one third of the number of beds per thousand people compared to Germany. We have the second lowest number of beds in the entire OECD per thousand population of the country. And we have less than half the number of hospital beds that um, is average for people in the EU, for OECD countries in the EU. Do you think the NHS spends money wisely? I mean, would it be better perhaps if you know, the hundreds of middle managers who get six-figure salaries. Uh, we got rid of some of them and maybe used some of that money to give, um, well, until recently, the nurses who were demanding money, the, you know, give it to the frontline workers rather than all these middle managers and all these diversity workers who aren't actually doing anything to cure patients. So, in other words, uh, spend the money more wisely than it already gets. Well, I've been a GP for 32 years. You're not going to find a single GP who doesn't think there's too much bureaucracy in the NHS. The question is how that bureaucracy or how that money is diverted, because there's no question that we do need 
some guidance and we do need for instance some targets for who we refer otherwise for instance if the the argument was that anybody could be referred when they had the slightest concern about cancer or indeed as Keir Starmer suggested or his health team suggested people should be allowed to refer themselves well if you don't have the GP determining whether that's appropriate, you'll probably have five, six, seven, eight times more people referring themselves to a consultant, which of course will dramatically increase waiting times and mean that people who have got serious conditions don't get seen as quickly. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for this time. Good to talk to you. Thank you. That was uh, Dr. Sarah Jarvis, GP and Clinical Director of Patient Access there about the NHS. Now, the new problem is sexual assault. Uh, more than uh, £4 million has been paid out since 2018 to patients who got sexually assaulted while they're in hospital uh, or possibly harassed, uh, whatever. They shouldn't be experiencing this, should they, in hospital wards? Unbelievable. Plus, if anyone could make a head nor tail of uh, Keir Starmer's five-point plan to cure the NHS of all of its ills, please let me know because I can't quite work out what it is he's exactly saying. He's talking about things like, you know, from hospital to community, people will be treated in the community and not in the hospital. What does that mean? What is he talking about? Any ideas? 03444991000. When we come back, should Justin Welby just shut his trap and stop attacking the government uh, for its policies? If maybe the government could agree not to attack him about his sermons if they agree not to attack the government about its policies. Keep each other out of each other's uh, waters and territory. What do you think? Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. That when we come back, I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV live from the Talk Radio studios across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show ten to one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344-499-1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.